You like? My wife found this for me. Isn't that nice? Let me pronounce it correctly for you. Edwards Hilaire. Not Hilaire, all right? Hilaire. That's how you pronounce it. In the bayou, we spell things differently, all right? We use letters that we don't use. You know what I'm saying? Up here, you use an O. In the bayou, we do E-A-U-X. I mean, it makes sense, right? Edwards Hilaire, all right? Now, I appreciate what my wife's doing for me because not only um, does she let me support the Chiefs this way, but she also knows that um, the college team that we cheer for is sort of rebuilding this year, if, if you will. And, and so I find myself clinging to anything that was attached to last season, if you understand what I'm saying. And it, it just kind of keeps me happy that way. Now, here's really what I want to talk to you about, and it's the reason I'm, I'm wearing the jersey today. When it comes to Chiefs opponents, do you know who I dread the most? When it comes to even who my college team faced last year in a, in a pretty good run toward a national championship, I'll give you a clue it was the same opponent that I feared for them. In fact, I can go back way further than that and even way, 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 way back in the day where, where I actually play, played ball, it is the same opponent that I feared the most back then. The team that I fear the most is the team who has nothing to lose. You know what I'm talking about? Like when, when the Chiefs suddenly, like they're trying to finish off the year really strong and suddenly you got this team that they've got to play. Maybe the team had some like injuries early in the year and so they lost too many games early. They're not going to make the playoffs and here they are. These are their playoffs, right? And so how do they play that game? They, they just like, they leave everything on the field because they got nothing to lose. It's fourth down. They don't care if it's fourth down. They're just going to Go for it, right? It's those teams that you end up playing who have nothing to lose that tend to be the most dangerous. So here's what I want us to think about today. Wouldn't it be great if we could live life this way? Wouldn't it be great if we could live life with a view of nothing to lose? He was James Baldwin who said, the, the most dangerous creation of any society is the man who had nothing to lose. So what if I told you that is exactly how God wants you to live? 
a life with nothing to lose. And today, we're going to find out how. So I'm glad you're here. I want to say welcome. Welcome to everybody who's at our uh, campuses. Uh, thank you for, for uh, choosing to be a part today. Welcome to everybody who's online. Thanks for taking the time. I, I love the fact that we get to spend some moments every week digging into God's word together and seeing what God's going to do in our hearts just like I believe he's going to do today. So here's the story. The background is the Apostle Paul is on what we often call his third, which would be his final missionary journey. And as a part of that journey, he spent some time in a place called Ephesus. The fact is he spent three years in Ephesus. The Bible tells us that Paul was teaching them. He was, he was helping to strengthen the church there. It uses this phrase that Paul taught them with tears. Now, come on, don't you know the difference between somebody who just teaches information versus somebody who teaches information with tears? It it means not just to bring the info, but you bring the info with what? With your heart. And that's the description. Paul taught them for three three years. Uh, He did so with tears. After a time, he leaves goes to a place called Corinth, which is on the opposite side of the Aegean Sea, spends the winter there. Then he heads back toward Jerusalem. I think he hopes to get there by Pentecost. Well, on his way back to Jerusalem, his boat stops at a place called Miletus. And Miletus is 20 miles to the south of Ephesus. And so when he lands there, Paul sends the word to those leaders in Ephesus for them to come and meet him in Miletus. Paul knows this is the last time they will ever see each other. Now think about that. This is the last time they're ever going to see each other. And so To say this is emotional is an understatement. To say that it is personal is an understatement. We're talking about some of the deepest convictions. These are the people that you love. And if you're never going to see them again, what do you want to tell them for the last time? That is the heart of this passage. So there's a lot that's said in Acts chapter 20 about this, about this occasion. I want to share with you first what I think is the summary statement, and then we're just going to back up and get a few verses that are attached to that summary statement. So Acts chapter 20, verse 24, here's what it says. However, I consider my life worth nothing. To me. Read that again. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I don't count my life as valuable, Paul says, except 
for this one thing. And what he describes here is a race that is to be run. That, that's the imagery that he uses for this mission that, that God's called him f- to fulfill, sharing the good news of God's grace. Good news is the word that we often, we use the word gospel. That's what it means. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's grace. Now, here's, here's what I want to say. I don't count my life as valuable. Today, that's not a popular phrase. Like you, you got, you can't, if you, if you say that, right, I, I don't count my life as valuable. We live in a day where many times immediately somebody's going to respond to that statement and go, whoa, 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 your, your life is valuable, right? Your, your life is valuable. I want you to know that whatever, whatever you're dealing with, your life is valuable. Whatever you do, your life is valuable, right? That, that's why we That's why we all get participation medals, right? And Paul says, no. No. He says, I don't consider my life valuable except for this remarkable truth, except for this remarkable mission, except for this remarkable race. This is why I live. This is what my life means. Therefore, I'm going to finish this race. Therefore, I'm going to stay on this course. Therefore, I am not going to stop. I don't, I don't want you to try to smooth over what Paul is actually saying here. He's actually saying It's better for me to be faithful to the mission and die than to be unfaithful and call it living. That's how drastic a statement this is. It's better for me to be faithful to this race, this mission that God's called me to, and lose everything of my life, to to die even, than to be unfaithful and to call it living. Paul's goal is not to stay alive. Paul's goal is to stay on course. This wouldn't be the only time he would say it, just in case we think we're misunderstanding where he's at. Sometime from now, Paul will find himself in a prison in Rome. And I want you to hear these words that he writes to the, to the Philippians. Um, he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who forsake, I, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to let you in on something. The Apostle Paul has a goal in life. But his goal in life is not simply to live to be 80 and make $80 million and never be sick. Because I want you to hear what I'm about to say. He knows that you can live to be 80 and make $80 million and never be sick a day of your life. And at the same time, you can wander off the course and over a cliff. 
and totally miss the race that he says makes life life. He knows there's something better. I, I think Paul would have grown up learning the Psalms, right? We know that from, from his background. And, and so Psalm chapter 63, verse 3, look at, look at what the psalmist says. Because your love is better than what? Than life. Lord, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You ready for this? There is a race that leads to a love that is better than anything that is normally considered success in this life. I'm going to say it again. There is a race that leads to a love that is better than anything that is normally considered success in this life. Paul is a man who knows such a truth, and therefore he lives in this remarkable way. I would use the phrase, he lives like a man who has nothing to lose. I want to show you what that looks like. Let's back up to verse 22 where he unpacks it for those leaders from Ephesus. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled means um, constrained. That's actually the the, the more uh, accurate word. It, It is the imagery in Paul's day of being bound with chains. So think about that imagery. I I am constrained. I am am bound by by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not, not knowing what will happen to me there. The first truth I want you to see today, what does it mean to run with nothing to lose? It means being controlled by a power beyond my own, and in this case, what we're talking about, he's the Holy Spirit. Being controlled by a power that is bigger than my own, controlled by a power that's more than my own, it is the Holy Spirit, which is God's spirit. I'm gonna say to you, Paul wouldn't even say what he says in this text if he were not tied to the spirit of God. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that none of us even declare that Jesus is Lord except for the Spirit. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would never get to that place that our eyes could see and our heart could believe that Jesus is the King, that he is the Savior. You saw a story just a minute ago, right? A beautiful story of a life that turns to him in faith. The Bible says we would never say that or do that if it were not for the Spirit of God. This is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is the evidence of when the Holy Spirit actually gets hold of you. Your life is then completely leveraged for this race of God's mission. We'll say it again. The evidence... The evidence of God's spirit getting a hold of you 
is that your life is then completely leveraged for this race, this mission that God has called you to. That should be a constant evaluating question for me and for you. Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit has a hold of me? It seems that for a lot of people, I, I think we, we say we want that. But then we become hesitant. We start to act as though we have something to lose. I think Paul knows that. And so I want you to look at that verse again. Back to verse 22. Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Check out this line. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I, I don't know. I'm going to Jerusalem. Holy Spirit sending me, but, but I, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Here's the second truth I want you to see. What does it mean to run with nothing to lose? It means being courageous in uncertainty. Being courageous in uncertainty. We have a tendency, and when I say we, I'm talking about those of us who would call ourselves Christians. We have a tendency to believe and at times even to teach others that if you are led by the Holy Spirit, if you are constrained by the Spirit, if you are, he's got a hold of you. When that happens, then you will know the future. I think we tend to believe that and we tend to teach that because we're actually afraid of not having that. And we're hoping that if we say, hey, I, I'm, I, the Holy Spirit's got a hold of me, I, I truly want him to empower my life, then I'm going to know what the future is. But, but I'm telling you, for the, for the one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, the supernatural evidence of his presence means that I can look even into an uncertain future. It means, you ready for this? We can even look death in the face and say, you are no threat to me. I will not waste my life. I got nothing to lose here. I'm gonna run this race no matter what it costs. I'm on this mission that God has called me to. Okay, that's not natural. And I would say, no, that's supernatural. That's supernatural. Come on. Uh, those of you who, who did the, the 5K and, and for the two of you that did the 10K, right, back when we had the run not too long ago, uh, when, when you're on a course, right, every once in a while, there's a hill. And, and for, for some of you, it's the first time that you, you were ever on that trail. And so you, you come to a hill and one of you thought, I wonder what's on the other side of this hill. Right? Every once in a while, there, there's some curves, and, and it's, there's tree-lined curves. And so the, the question is, as you're, as you're rounding the curve, it's like, well, what, what's on the other side of this curve? I'm telling you, that is exactly what it's like to run this race on mission. Don't let anybody tell you if you 
right? Or, or if when the Holy Spirit has you, that there's never going to be some moment that you don't know what's over the hill, right? There's never going to be some moment that you don't know. No, there are going to be lots of moments that we don't know. In the Bible, that's called faith. We just tend to skip over some of those parts because we don't like it. All the way back to Abraham, God said that God, he called Abraham to a place of inheritance. Hebrews chapter 11 says Abraham did not know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. It's called faith. This year ought to remind us we don't know. We keep acting like we do, but we don't know. We don't know what the circumstances of our future are. But here's what I know. Jesus is with me, and Jesus is for me. That's what I know. He's with me, and he's for me. Those who live with nothing to lose are able to say, look, I don't know what all the circumstances of my future are, but you know what? I can walk this out with courage. Now, there's one thing Paul did know about his future. Let's go to verse 23. Here's what he says. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Woohoo! Right? Cheering on the team. Like, really? He's like, I don't know what the future, don't know what all the circumstances hold. I'm going where he's telling me to go. I don't, I don't know. But here's what I do know prison. <laughs> the third truth that I want you to see is that learning to run with nothing to lose involves overcoming fear when facing suffering. The truth is, this race, this mission that God's called us to, goes through pain. It goes through pain. Back in Acts chapter 14, Paul said to all the churches, verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> See, nobody's got that one on the fridge. No, nobody's drinking coffee out of that mug every morning, waking up in the morning, just reading it, man, we, we got to go through hardships for the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing what we tend to push out? And yet the Bible, very honest of going, look, this is who Jesus is. But, but look, it, I'm being real honest. This is what this race looks like. And when you run with nothing to lose, it means learning to overcome fear when facing suffering. Well, in Acts chapter 20, the Holy Spirit gets really specific. And he says, Paul, for you, it's gonna, there's going to be prison. There's going to be prison. And what Paul is stating in this text to those Ephesian elders is he's saying, look, I would rather run this race through pain than to waste my life by not living this mission. Suffering can be a result 
of the sin that I commit that has consequences. We all have tasted that. I made a decision that's opposed to the heart of God. When I made the decision, there were some consequences that followed. But sometimes suffering is also experiencing the consequences of just this being a broken, sinful world. And there are times when people get sick, and immediately the question they want to ask is, well, what did I, what, God, what did I do wrong to deserve this? And some of the, the answer is, is often, no, it, it wasn't something that you just did last week that, that now, right, here's the punishment. No, there, there, are, there is an effect of sin in this world that sometimes we get sick. But the one we don't often talk about is suffering can also be the result of a life empowered by the Spirit of God. It can. And you say, like, are you trying to encourage us today? Like, are you trying to talk us into this today? And my answer is, come on, sometimes... It's encouraging when I suddenly realize, okay, all I've been trying to lean into, God, is this where you want me to go? And then I think this is where he wants me to go. And then when I go there, it ends up with suffering. And what we usually experience is people start shaming us. It's like, oh, you must have missed it. Oh, you must have not actually heard from him. Oh, you must be in the wrong place. And I'm just encouraging you. The truth is sometimes you are actually constrained by the Spirit. He gets a hold of you. You're running this race. And when you run this race, there are times that there is suffering. Well, why in the world would we go through that? Which circles us full back to verse 24. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I'm going to give you the statement and then we'll unpack it. Running with nothing to lose means living to make known the good news of God's grace. Running with nothing to lose means my life, everything about my life, every every breath, every every day, every moment, every decision, every, it, it is about, it is about making known the good news of God's grace. The reason Paul lives this way is because a miracle happened in him. That at one point, he was opposed to who Jesus was until the day came that Jesus caused a head-on collision with Paul. And on that day, Paul experienced a forgiveness of his sin And he experienced what it meant for God himself to move into your life. And from that day forward, he found out who Jesus was, how good he is, 
And from that moment on, everything else became measured by who Jesus is. Everything else about his life paled compared to who Jesus is. Now, come on, I'm saying we don't all have the same form of ministry in the sense of uh, in the room today, we have some pastors, but mostly not. And in the room, we've got we got students and school teachers and engineers and accountants and mechanics and plumbers and electricians and officers and you name it, all right? My, my point is we don't all have the same form of ministry, but please hear what I'm saying today. We all have the same goal of our life. No matter what that form is, We all are called to live this race. This mission of God has saved my life. God has changed my life. And now he set me on a race that I might communicate this grace, this truth, this good news. And when you read the book of Acts, the greatest evidence of being spirit-filled in the book of Acts is a boldness in declaring the good news of Jesus. Boldness doesn't mean being mean. We kind of got to redefine that in our day. Boldness doesn't mean being mean. You can be bold and be nice. But here's what I think has begun to happen in some of our culture. I'm afraid that boldness in a way, has been replaced by niceness. And what I mean by that is we we take this view of, of I don't actually have to be so bold to confront my neighbor with this good news of Jesus. What, what I feel like God has called me to be is to be a good neighbor. What he's called me to be is to, to help out my neighbor. What he's called me to be is to put my neighbor first. And so, I, I, you know, maybe it's they need help in their yard or, or, or maybe they need some, some leaves cleaned out of the gutters this time of year. And God, God has called me to, to be a, a good person to them and to to represent what what his love looks like and I want to challenge you to think through if the good news of Jesus the truth that he died for sin and rose again is the good news that changes a life for eternity, then how can we ever say that we love someone and not deliver such news? You are called to such boldness. I'm not saying you don't clean out the gutters. You do. You do. You, you love your neighbor and you serve your neighbor. But, but a part of that reason in serving is because not only do you genuinely care for them, but you care for them ultimately that you want the opportunity to say, this is why I live the way I do. This is why I run the race I run. Because I want you to know that without Jesus, there is no hope. But with Jesus, he changes everything. I, I'm asking you, is this what we teach our kids 
And do your kids see in you somebody who is controlled by the Spirit of God? Do they see in you somebody who is courageous when a future is uncertain? Do, do they see in you somebody who can overcome fear even in the midst of suffering that you know is coming? Somewhere along the line, I'm admitting to you that there came some point where I realized I needed to be really upfront with my kids. That when they read the Bible and they are confronted with the truth, that what they are reading there does not look like here in their life, in their own life. If what, if what the scripture says a Christian looks like doesn't appear to be what they look like, I had to start challenging my kids to not allow some adults to explain that away. Because adults have a tendency to do that. if they're not living with nothing to lose. Like, don't you let some adult talk you out of the confrontation that you feel. You get honest with God and you ask him about what you're seeing and about what he's seeing. I would much rather them wrestle through that kind of struggle than for somebody to just keep excusing, excusing, excusing where they don't look. Man, I, I'm saying this is real. And Paul knows this is real. And that's why he has so much passion to say, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to get off this course. You got to decide. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. And so he, in, he says, I, I, go back to verse 22 one more time. I'm, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem. That's his declaration. That's his practical, this is where I'm at in the race. I'm not getting off this race course. I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what's going to happen to me there. Uncertainty, prison, this is where I'm going. This is the conversation I imagine. Paul, Paul, take a breath, dude. I want you to take a breath. Man, you're getting older, Paul. Paul, Paul, you, you're, you're, you're getting older. And I'm asking you, consider. I'm not asking you to stop completely. I'm saying, man, maybe it's time for you to settle down a little bit, Paul. I mean, come on, man. H how about find you a little spot on the Aegean Sea? Like, Paul, have you heard of Santorini, Paul? You should check it out. Like, come on, how about just a, a little spot, right? Because, come on, you have accomplished more in ministry, in, in, in a, a missionary journey than most people accomplish in 10 lifetimes. You, you deserve this. Slow down a little bit. Let Timothy take some of it. 
right? He's young. He, he's got the, the, the energy. Let, let him run with this. And whatever you do, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem because Agabus the prophet, he says that if you go there, they're going to bind your hands, they're going to bind your feet, and they're going to turn you over to the Gentiles. And Paul, don't go to Rome. I know you got this thing in your head. I know you got this thing in your heart, but don't go to Rome. You're going to push it too far. You're older now. Paul, this is the sunset season of your life. Enjoy it. Sunsets, beautiful. And I think it's interesting that people use that language when they get to the latter part of their life. Um, Often what we would call retirement, right? It's the, it's the sunset season of your life. I want you to know the truth is that in this race and following Jesus, there is no sunset season. Now, don't confuse that with retirement because I'm all for retirement. I I love If you can retire and you're able to do that, I'm saying fantastic for you. But please realize what, what is painted as the picture of a successful retirement in our culture clashes big time with what the Bible paints as the picture of a sunset. How, what does the last part of Paul's life look like? What, what does the last part of this early church's life look like? Nothing wrong with retirement. I hope that you're able to do that. But I'm begging you, don't waste your life by simply making the biggest things, the, the hobbies that you can come up with, right? That, that somewhere you can just kick back and, and totally, you know, check out on, on, on all the, the, the struggles and worries of this life. No, no, don't waste your life. That, that is the message of what Paul is sharing with, with these believers. Stay on the course. Keep running the race. If you retire, hopefully it gives you even more time. It gives you more, more able to, to focus on that, the resources that you have. Just don't lose sight of what matters. Now the question is, is this a sunset or is it a sunrise? That's why I love using visuals because those are the debates that people get in and they don't actually pay attention to the point that I'm trying to make, right? And people will walk, well, I, just, I think that was actually a sunrise. He was using a sunset. So here's what I'm also going to say. Some of, you, some of you are in a sunrise season of your life. That's what we would call it. You're young, going to school, right? Right now you're supposed to be learning everything that you can learn. And there's a tendency for, I think, a lot of young lives to say, one day, one day, I hope to be able to leverage my life for this race that God has called me to. One day when I get my degree one day when I've actually, you know, got a job, one day when I'm a little more, have some stability, one day when I, when I can have a house, one, one day. And I'm saying to you, that is not what the kingdom of God looks like either. The kingdom of God 
regardless of your age, whether you just met him or whether you've been walking with him for 70 years, in the kingdom of God, it is always high noon. In the kingdom of God, it is always that right now, this is the race that you're called to. Right now, stay on the course. Right now, do, do you understand the difference that this makes? Do you understand what, what, what weighs in the balance here? It's always high noon. That is the picture of Paul's life as he lives it with nothing to lose from the first day he met Jesus till the day they will take his life. He's like, I won't stop. I won't stop. I will not set foot off of this racetrack. I will not. I'm going to keep running. This is on my heart right now. As I'm reading through Acts, I I can't get away from it. It's everywhere. I'm going to be honest with you and say, this probably isn't the last time you hear me use that phrase, nothing to lose. Because God's stirring something in my heart too. Because you know what I've noticed? I can believe that and even live that way. And suddenly I can wake up a few months down the road and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I actually still living this or have I easily wandered off this course. I want to run this way. I want to run this way. And I believe some of you do too. We will not pull this off alone. Paul didn't even pull it off alone. This language of a race, this this language of finishing and what's worth everything, he only says it in one more spot. He writes to a young Timothy, almost at the end. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. See, here's what Paul knows. When you run, with nothing to lose, you win. You win. One day, Paul would stand before the king and that king would place upon his head a crown. A man who stands right with God forever and ever and ever. And through the thousands of temptations that Paul must have had to walk off that race course, (laughs) 
man, on that day, he was glad he didn't. I want to run this way. Will you pray with me? As you're honest with God for a few minutes here, what would you say is most keeping you from running such a race? What is it? I want to encourage you to just be honest with him for a few minutes. Admit, what is it that most keeps you from running that race? Is it the fear of what people will say? Is it relationships that you know will put pressure on you if you make the decisions that you need to make? Is it is it financial that what you have to spend your time paying for? A house, a car. That it takes all your heart? Is it a hobby? Nothing wrong with hobbies until they move you off course. Um, Is it sin? I'm saying I encourage you to be honest with God in these moments to either confess those things to him, to ask him to help you, Or at least this far, God, will you help me to want to? God, I know that it feels like there's a long way in my heart to go. Um, On this little phrase, on this little truth, It really changes everything. God, together, I'm even asking that over these next weeks and months and, God, maybe even year, that you would continue to open our heart and open our eyes. God, what what we hear today almost seems so radical that, that we want to explain it away. And I'm asking you to to maybe, God, we could begin in us to realize that when we open the scripture and we read it, this, this is not the unusual. This is what your people walked out. So God, would you, would you give us that want to? God, would you help us to be honest? Would you show us those things that are in the way? God, what the apostle Paul knew is that you your love is better than life. It is better than any of the, of the things that we deem successful in this world. It's better. God, will you give us eyes to see who you are, that we believe such truth that our lives might be leveraged to declare good news of a God who saves. I thank you, God, for what you start in us today. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing a little bit. We'll be available over here on the side. If you need prayer today, we'd be honored to help. Maybe you know somebody here. Maybe you know somebody where you are, whatever campus, that there's somebody you trust there that I'm just reminding you, we're not going to do this alone. You're going to need somebody. Today, I encourage you, take that step. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Thank you.